First of all, I want to say thank you to all of you who've been participating in our 40 days of prayer and fasting. I hope that's most everyone as we've talked about it over these past 40 days. We have been uh, getting our text at 6 a.m., praying for one another, praying the same thing over these 40 days. Uh, quite significant. We trust what God is doing, and we concluded that with an all-night prayer on Friday. And if you participated in that, again, thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's not something we do just kind of just to do it. Say we prayed through the night, you know, we prayed on the hour, but it's something in a sense uh, we call ourselves to, and it's, it's symbolic in the sense of our utter dependence upon God. And I was there from midnight to, <clears throat> to one, and uh, there's something special about walking around in the dark and looking up at the stars. And, you know, we prayed some of David's prayers through this process, and it made me think of David the nights he would spend out looking up at the sky and it's reflected in the Psalms that we see. Um, such a rich, rich time. And so uh, thank you for, for joining in that and, and participating. It uh, truly is something we think over the next, the next weeks, months, years, God will answer those prayers in ways and, and do things that we could never do as we came before him uh, in that discipline. So it was truly a delight to, to participate, uh, for all of us partic participate in that. I have been looking forward to this particular uh, morning and this message uh, for some time now for two reasons. The first is uh, we come to the end of our wholehearted series. Now, it's not that I'm excited, wow, we're done with that. That's not what I mean. Let me explain. I'm excited because having come to the end, I am so excited about what that means. And what it means is that there are about, you know, just under 3,000 people who call Fellowship Bible Church home, whether Franklin or Brentwood, who are now on the same page, who are aligned with a common language, a common mission, common values, renewed mission and values, but we're, we're together on this. And what that means, I, I, can't, uh, I can't say enough that it's, it's a significant uh, work of God to do that, and it's significant for our future. I, I want to remind you of a story in the Old Testament, Genesis 11, many of you are familiar with the story of the, the Tower of Babel, and, or Babel, Babel, and um, you know, that was man's effort to reach God. So, so a fallen humanity says, let's build a tower. Come on, let's everybody get together, work on this one thing and build this tower to God. And of course, to God, it was a puny tower and he came down and, and dispersed you know, the, 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 the people with foreign, now they spoke foreign languages. But there's something that God says in that context that I think is absolutely uh, profound when it comes to uh, you and I being uh, made in his image, as I'll talk about in a few moments, and what people can do when they're together. God is speaking. This is Genesis eleven six. It's the New Living Translation. I like the way it's phrased here and the thoughts it communicates. God says, look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Now that's, that's, a, that's a pretty serious principle there in terms of God saying, you know, when people put their minds together and are aligned on one thing, there's not much they can't do. Now that was a fallen humanity. I want you to think about a redeemed humanity. 
I want you to think about a community of faith who chooses one language, one purpose, one aim, aligned. And of course, we see this in the New Testament. What do we see when we go to the New Testament letters? Be of one heart, one hope. You see, when we get a line like that, you all, I'm not talking about like, oh man, we're going to be a big church. You know, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about kingdom influence for a people so aligned. So I'm absolutely excited about that as we wrap this up. Secondly, I've been looking forward to this day because in the same way that mission clarity, we need mission clarity, mission clarity requires leadership clarity. And so today, we together are going to officially install Rob Sweet as our lead pastor. And uh, some of you are going, well, I thought we did that a year and a half ago. And I go, well, we did. But uh, it was under some some pretty uh, trying circumstances, and we want to do it in a way today that's appropriate to the office, to the man, uh, and, and to us as a community of faith to make clear Uh, how we're organized and how we're being led as we move forward. So we'll talk about that at the back end, and that'll be a big part of the end of our our message today. Today, uh, we're going to conclude this series with uh, unpacking one last statement. And it's a statement that's been in front of you the whole time, but we may not have noticed it. Rob and I haven't referenced it a ton, though it's in front of us. And it's this statement up here on the the board. I don't know if some of y'all can see this, but Wholehearted, we were made for this. I mean, it's been in front of us the whole time. We were made for this. What, what do you mean, we were made for this? What were we made for? We were made, we were made for wholehearted life in Jesus and helping others find wholehearted life in Jesus. We were made for this. And in the same way that we took every phrase, every value, every statement, every word in our mission statement and grounded it in the scripture, I want to take this statement, we were made for this, and I want to ground it in the Bible. Because it doesn't matter if Rob or I or Eric say, you know, come on, y'all, we were made for this, and it has no roots in the scripture. No, it's got to be, does the Bible say we were made for this? And I want to suggest it does. Now, in order to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis. I'm going to be in three verses in Genesis, just three. I'm going to, it's going to be a high flyover, but it's going to be enough to help us understand that, that, that we were made for this as communicated to us in Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. These three verses are kind of like those little... Those little pills that are, that are actually little toys for kids in the sense that you pour water on the little pill and it starts to grow and all of a sudden it goes boom and it's like, that's an elephant. I thought that was a little pill you could swallow. No, it's, an, it's a starfish, you know, whatever. It's just, it's all packed in there. We put a little water of the spirit on these three verses and I'm telling you the verse begins to unfold and unfold and unfold. We could never do it justice in the moments I have, but it'll unfold to the degree that you and I can grasp. Were we made for this? Does the Bible say we were made for wholehearted life in Jesus? I think we'll find it in these verses. Follow along as I read. Now we're in the sixth day of creation. So this is the pinnacle of creation. That's our context. We find Moses records these words, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. M.L. Bruner is a Swiss theologian. He makes this comment, the most powerful of all spiritual forces is man's view of himself. The way in which he understands his nature and his destiny. Indeed, it is the one force which determines all the others which influence human life. The point that uh, Brunner is making you all is that what, what you and I believe, genuinely believe about our identity, about what am I? I mean, what am I as a human being? What we believe about our identity. And then as we look forward and go, and what we believe about our destiny, i.e., this is what I am, and this is what I'm on the planet to do. When we, whatever we believe about those two things, it shapes all of our life. And I want to suggest that in these three verses, God answers the question of identity and purpose. I, I, I believe here he answers the question of nature and destiny. Now, I'm going to tease it out, and I don't, I'm not going to go deep in this. It's a, it's a high flyover, but we've studied this before. And so I want to take those two things. I want to take first nature. I mean, what, what are we as human beings? And I want you to note in these passages, four times, Moses repeats the phrase, in our image, in our image, in our likeness, in our image. Four times, I mean, it's just three verses, four times he says that. And when we speak of the image of God, that human, human beings are made in the image of God. Y'all, you know, you, you study, study weeks on that, you know, and not covered all, but, but let me distill it in this way at least. We know made in the image of God means we're like God. We have a heart, uh, and, and our heart, it, it comprises our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, that's who we are. This is, this is not true of the plant world, of the earth, and it's not true of animals. This is made in the image of God as a thinker, as a feeler, as one who longs and as one who chooses volitionally. We're made in God's image in this way, for God is, is made like this. Um, there, there's more that can be put in that, but what I want to focus on this morning is that clearly humanity, uh, by this phrase over and over, is telling you and I that we are created beings, not evolved species. That, that you and I are, we are created this way and, and wired, even as we're wired, and imbued with giftings and wirings because we're made in the image of God. We did not evolve to this place where we have appendages and feet and eyeballs and everything else. And this is where, go back to one of our values, we're word-centered. I'm telling you that, that, that you'll only find that in the word of God as he's revealed it to us. If you step outside of the Bible, you're gonna, you're gonna end up in all kinds of things about who a human being is and what a human being is. But I'm telling you, the Bible says we, you and I, are made in God's image and therefore we are of, we are of immeasurable value and worth because you are 
Not because of what you do. This is the starting point of everything. How many of us as parents, you know, live our lives and, and, and seek to instill in our children? You know, I've got two daughters, and to say to my daughters, honey, you are beautiful. You are so valuable. valuable. You are of such worth. And you know what your daughter says to you? Well, you're my dad. And, and honestly, we giggle, but don't we do, and, and we want to say, no, this is what your heavenly father who made you says about you. And there's not a parent in the room, this is not even hyperbole, who wouldn't give their right arm if your child was struggling and you said, if I give my right arm, will you help her understand she is gorgeous, valuable, of, of immeasurable worth? We do it so they know that. So much it means to know that you matter. Now, I say that about kids, but what happens to us as adults? What do I do when I get up in the morning and I go out in the big wide world and I feel like I need to do something that people see I matter? <laughs> I need to achieve something so that people see I'm, I have worth. See, we still do it. Man, this is crazy, but it's embedded in our fallen nature. But what the Bible says to you and I, identity, you are created in the image of God and you are valuable. You have worth because of that, period. Now, uh, if we turn forward and we say, okay, of this value, I'm, I, I believe it. Well, why am I here? What am I here to do? You know, what, what's my, my destiny, my purpose? I think it's rooted in what God entrusts to humanity. We say, when God entrusts that to them, we go, well, that's what humans were made for, okay, in this passage. Let me give you four words, and there's one huge word uh, that stands out above all the others and that is this, you cannot read this, I don't believe you can read this and not come away understanding that human beings made in God's image were made for relationship, relationship. It's just replete throughout the passage that, that God made, he didn't have to, but he made us that we might be in relationship with him, in relationship with God. That's what we were made for. And notice too, we were made to be in relationship with each other. It's what we were made for. Uh, you can no more remove the longing and the desire to connect with, a, with God and with other human beings. You, you can't remove that from your DNA because that's God-given. That's to be made in the image of God. Now, out of that relationship, you see, flow th at least these three things. That, that help us determine, okay, I'm made in God's image and I'm made for these three things as I live my life. This is why I'm on the planet. And I'm gonna use our words. You could choose other words and there's probably more things, but I just want you to, to we're just, I want you to grasp at least these things. Made for relationship with God and with each other, every human being is made. Rob covered this in a message earlier. Every human being is made to reflect God's image. Uh, we're put on the planet, we're created and placed here on this planet to show the world what God is like, to reflect God's image. It's the word we would say we're made to glorify God, okay? Secondly, we are made to rule with God. 
So under relationships, we're made to reflect God's image. We're made to rule with God. Now, the implications of this are staggering. Co-reign and rule the world with me. You see, that was, that was why we were put on the planet, y'all. Now, we, we lost that, so to speak, in the fall, right? Okay, But don't ever forget, it's our future. <laughs> that there's a day coming when we will, we will co-reign and rule with God. You may be out at a soccer game, ball game, I don't know what, you know, meeting with friends at a party and you run into someone, you don't know them, you introduce yourself to them and they say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so, et cetera. And finally, you're gonna get around to, well, and what do you do? What do you do here in town? And, and, and the, the, the woman may say, you know, I'm a, I work for Bridgestone. Really, what do you do with Bridgestone? And she says, I'm, I'm the CEO. What? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's so neat. You know, oversee Bridgestone, that's great. And she says, well, what do you do? And you, you say, well, I, I co-reign the world with God. <laughs> Wow, really? Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. Now, here's the thing. It's so funny, you know, that's so funny. And yet, is there a more significant, more meaningful, more challenging, more huge responsibility? No. And, and I don't mean it silly in the sense of that's what we were made for. So, so if there's this wiring in you, which is God-given, that you're just, we're all wired to live a significant life. Guess why? Guess why? Because you're made in the image of God. And God doesn't give us menial tasks per se. I don't, you know, I'm not throwing anything else, anything meaningless, but no, he says, co-reign and co-rule the world with me. And that's our future. That's where we're going. So under the relationship with God, with humanity, with each other, we're made to reflect God's image, to co-rule with him, and finally we're made to reproduce. We are made to reproduce, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And by the way, let me count at least these two levels. Number one, um, sexual intimacy, sexual drive, that, that's, again, it's not an evolved biological mechanism, it's a gift of God implanted in every human being. And so we're wired to connect in that way, to physically reprodu- reproduce the, the pleasure and, the re- and, and, and what that brings in terms of children. We're made to do that. But we're also made in the way I want you to understand that it's not just that you have to have biological children. We're made to be reproducers in the sense that some, some can't have biological children, but every person on the planet, you don't even have to be married for this, can reproduce themselves as they help other people become spiritual children of God, who help others become spiritual children of God. You see, we can reproduce in that way and we're made to do it. We're wired for it, hardwired for it. So you go, well, what were we made for, Lord? Well, if I put it in a paragraph, maybe, I would put it this way. This is awful wordy. Don't try and write it down. Just let me read it to you. It's up on the right-hand screen, okay? It's up on the right-hand screen. If I put this in a paragraph, it'd be this. You know, we are made in God's image. I am of infinite worth and value, entrusted with an eternally significant 
work. So let me ask you this. You work for a company for 30 years, you make 80,000 computers in your lifetime. It's awesome. You know, and they're, they're out of date within two years anyways, and you know, they won't be here 50 years from now. But you and I get to co-rule and reign the world, get to reproduce ourselves spiritually. So our work in this way, do you understand? It lasts forever. So is our work important? Yes, it can't be any more important. So we're to be uh, an eternally significant work to be done in relationship with God and others, resulting in a life of helping others find life with God right now and live with the certain hope that one day everything will be as God intended it to be for his glory forever. This, this is, there's a mouthful in that, and I probably tried to put too much in it. But what I want you to see in it is that our identity and our purpose, our nature and our destiny rooted in the scripture screams, I believe, we were made for wholehearted life in Jesus and to help others find wholehearted life in Jesus who will then help others find wholehearted life in Jesus who will then help others find wholehearted. You see, that we were made for this. This is an eternally significant work that's, that we were designed for and made for. Now, you know, when we think about what we're made for, we have a problem, and that is the fall. And in the fall, you know, our thoughts get whacked out. And so while we were made for this, in the fall, we, uh, we find ourselves thinking poorly about our identity and destiny. We, we don't think rightly about our nature and our destiny. And so instead of going, I am of value and I, I, in Christ, I get to live a life of eternal significance, we go, this screen up here on the left. I am deficient, defective, and flawed. Therefore, I must keep others from seeing this. And I will strive to do whatever makes me feel significant so that others value who I am and I can live a life that matters. Now, that's a mouthful too, but I wanna suggest we live our whole lives apart from Christ trying to, number one, instead of made for relationship, we go, I know what's in my heart and so I don't wanna get too close to people and so we go this way instead of going this way in relationship and with God. If God, I don't want God to see all I am and so we go away from God, you see, and so it's, it's like two positive poles of a magnet, you're going, they won't go together in our fallenness. And therefore, I'm isolated out here and I say, I'm not of worth, I'm not of value, I'm flawed and defective. And therefore, I must achieve. I must do this. I must show the world that I matter. And, and I'm not saying any of you wake up and do that outwardly, but inwardly. And even subconsciously, we go about trying to earn, achieve our worth. Oh, we don't have to in Christ. So we, we get wrong thinking versus biblical thinking. How do we move from here to here? And that's not gonna surprise you. You move from there to there through the gospel, through the good news that Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved, was buried and rose again, and therefore secures our relationship with God by his life, death, and resurrection. Enables us, therefore, to live with others selflessly to love others, even as Christ loved the church beyond a husband and wife relationship. And where our eyes are open to our value, inherent value. And therefore, here's what's fascinating, is our desires, 
are so transformed by the good news of the gospel that I now want, I want not to achieve something for me, but I want to put myself, selfishness aside and live for others and their good. Now, I want to illustrate this as I did when I taught it. The reason we, we, we're all wigged out is because we're born, you see, with fragmented hearts. We are born with our hearts disintegrated. You remember this when I taught this? And therefore, with hearts that are disintegrated, right, we, the, the truth is unconnected from our choices. The truth is unconnected from emotions and desires. And so you begin to live out of just emotional life, whatever. And, you know, I feel it, I'm gonna do it. That, that's not biblical truth. Or, you know, I just desire it and I gotta satisfy it and I'm gonna do it. That's not biblical truth. You know what else isn't biblical truth? Well, the Bible says it, so I'm just gonna do it. That's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is our whole heart united. Our desires changed, you know, changed heart, not just changed behavior, people, but a changed heart. And that's what the gospel does. And the gospel does it how? Well, think about it this way. We've drawn this so many different ways. But you know, when you trust Christ and you put your faith in Christ, you have put your faith and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we love to draw it this way to say, therefore, what unites our hearts and the only thing that can unite our hearts is the cross of Christ is what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. And therefore, I will, as Paul said, boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus. And you know what unites thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices? Only the cross of Christ. Only the work of the Spirit in your life and mine. You cannot put your own heart back together. God does it when we trust the gospel, the Spirit and, Paul, and, and, and it says it all through the Bible. He's going to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's going to write his law in our hearts. He's going to remove, he's going to circumcise the calluses of our heart and give us a tender heart. What is that? It's, he's going to give us a heart united to fear his name. I'm telling you, the only thing that can hold the heart together and bring it together is the cross of Jesus Christ. Wow. We were made for this. We were made for it. Not only were we made for it, but you know what God does so that other people can know this? He puts groups of Christians together. And that group of Christians gets together and goes, we, we're here for a reason. And so we're gonna get together to learn this so that we can then leave where we've gathered to go tell this. But then we're gonna come back together and, and encourage one another and remind each other again. And then we're gonna go back. This is called the church. And every church has a unique fingerprint. And so every church needs to determine from God, what's our unique fingerprint? Because all all, every church in this community is awesome. Not, not every, but you know, I mean, they're good. We're all on the same purpose. I mean, we're all on the same team, but we all have a unique fingerprint. So what's our fingerprint? Well, we've spent a year thinking through that. And what you have in your hands when you came in this morning, I want you to take it out. Because this is the fingerprint of Fellowship Bible Church. This is, this is what we have prayerfully sought God and said, this is God, this is who you've made us to be. And, and again, I can't stress enough, when we're united 
that this is our fingerprint. Oh, what God can and will do in and through us. Very quickly, I want you to go through it with me. I'm not gonna go through it in detail. We've done this. Who are we? I mean, what, what the values that guide our mission. We're word-centered, spirit-dependent, better together, courageously real, not about ourselves. Why did I begin in Genesis 1 to say, who's gonna define what a human being is? I'm telling you, we're gonna stand on this word and define what a human being is. See, this is where we're word-centered. It's all word-centered, what God has revealed. Um, flip it over, because I'm gonna move quickly on this. What do we do? What's our mission? Well, we've said our, every, you know, every human being is made to glorify God. Every church is made to glorify God and make disciples. Well, how is fellowship gonna uniquely do that? And we state it this way, by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And you say, well, what's wholehearted life in Jesus? There's the definition. Wholehearted life in Jesus is the lifelong process of my thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices uniting to find that my deepest longings and greatest hopes are satisfied in Jesus alone. I'm telling you, the gospel <laughs> saves us, puts us in a right standing with God for ever because of what Jesus done. We're clothed in his righteousness, but men and women, if that were all it was, then we would, we would trust God and we'd go be with him. But we haven't. He leaves us here. And in the process of leaving us here, he changes our hearts. Y'all, it's not just he changes our thoughts. It's not just he changes the way our, we choose. It's not just he changes our, it's not just he changes, he changes the whole heart. And when the whole heart is changed, and this is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel is to change our deepest desires. And when those are changed, and you and I realize that my deepest longing is fulfilled in Jesus, then every choice we make reflects that versus the choices in life. The things I choose are just sorry substitutes for Jesus. Achievement, sex, power. You choose all those things and they leave you empty. But when we choose Jesus and we go, Jesus is my ultimate intimacy. Jesus is my ultimate meaning. Jesus is my all. That's a different life altogether, isn't it? And so he brings us together to, this is where we want to take people. And it's where we want to take ourselves. Flip it over. How are we going to, how are we going to, what are the characteristics of a wholehearted life? How are we going to know that we're growing in this? Four things, a renewed mind, active faith, healthy relationships, and a satisfied soul. Flip it over to the back. Last thing, um, how we grow. So what's our strategy? Okay, you go, well, we've been working on this for over a year. And I'm telling you, it looks like it, doesn't it? You talk about, you talk about something that requires a lot of work. All kidding aside, it's really easy to be complex. It's tremendously difficult to be simple and clear. I'm talking that simple and clear. There are 3,000 people plus that call fellowship home, per se. How do we all get on the same page? How do we all go, 
This is where we're going. This is how we're doing what we're doing. I'm telling you, you can't put it on five sheets of paper. You got to put it on a napkin and you got to be able to draw it literally. And that's what Eric had you do last week. And I'm telling you, the simplicity of this is the point. That is the point. What are we going to do? How, how are we going to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus? Well, first of all, we're going to go to church. And you go, well, we already do that. Well, I want to beg to differ. I mean, we know this, you know, statistically, we know, and I'm not, I'm not thinking of any individual person, but just let me say this, that those who call Fellowship Bible Church home on any given weekend, a third of fellowship people are not at church. Now, I get it. You have kids that are sick. You have things that you're doing, you have commitments you have to fulfill, but that's just a fact. We, we don't honestly go to church. I mean, some of us do, so I, I know that, but I'm telling you as a whole, many of us, we don't regularly go to church. And so again, I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not putting any pressure on anybody, but I'm just saying this. When's the last time you said no to something out there so that because you said to yourself, no, we go to church and gather with our people on Sunday. When's the last time you or I did that? Because I know what I do oftentimes is, uh, oh my gosh, we got a chance to go on this vacation with this family. Fine, you know, find a substitute for your teacher. But, you know, we, we're so quick to find substitutes for something and miss, we're just so quick to miss church. And I'm, I'm, I, I need to get off that soapbox. You know, I'm not trying to slam anybody in there. I'm just saying, we go to church. This is what the Bible calls us to. It's, it's bigger than just you know, gathering. It's what God does in the corporate setting within, within the people of God and the spirit of God. And you know what else we do? We go to groups. Well, what, what do you mean we go to groups? Well, we, we, we gather on a regular basis in a smaller group setting where we can be known and we can know others. This, so, 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 okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Christ. Yes, how are we going to do it? We're going to go to church. And we're going to be in groups. And what else? We're going to go to church. And we're going to be in groups. Okay, and then, and then what? We're going to go to church. And we're going to be in groups. I'm just telling you, it's that simple. Now, you know there's other things we do, but we're not going to neglect those two. That's where we're going. Speaking of other things, on the right-hand side, your walk. Your walk. This is, if this is weekly, go to church, be in a group. Go to church, be in a group, or you know, as weekly as the, as, as the group part can be. And even with church commitments, I understand that. Your daily walks, 24-7, 365. Ultimately, are we walking with Jesus, period? 24-7, 365, such that when we come to church, it's just a reflection of what we've been doing all week. And we're in our group, it's a reflection of what we're doing all week. And then finally, we're gonna go to this side because we're gonna say, and you know what? It's not about ourselves, it's about your world. It's about your world. Yes, it's about the global world. Yes, we're getting ready to do global Christmas. Yes, but your world is your neighbor. It's ultimately about you and me taking the gospel to whoever God puts in front of us. It's not, you don't have to go, you know, figure out, you know, I want to go find something. No, God will put people in your life. That's called your neighbor, where you live, work, play, and study. And it's that person we help lead to Christ. Boy, the simplicity of this is its power because we also put this little arrow to say, we do these things not for ourselves, but to take someone else's hand and say, let me help you know Christ. 
Let me help you grow in your relationship with Christ. And as they do, they say, let me show you how you can go back and help someone else. You see, we're always bringing someone along. Wow, that's awful simple. Can I tell you, think about what Jesus gave his disciples. Talk about simplicity. Okay, Jesus, Jesus is intent on changing the whole, the whole world, that the kingdom of God rests on this. 11 guys that are pretty flunked out, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if I was standing there, my, I would have gone, can you draw it in the sand or something? Or can you draw a diagram, Jesus, what we're supposed to? As he just told them. Now, he did say this. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they did do that. They wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes. And all Jesus said before, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he's gone. You're going, wait, 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 wait. Give us some more. Give us some more. You know, and he didn't give them any more. And you and I are sitting in this room today because... Trace it all the way back to Jesus' ascension. Somebody got it. And they just did what Jesus said. It was not complicated. And this is not complicated. But this is who we are and where we're going. Which brings me to this. Clarity of mission requires clarity of leadership. We haven't always provided that as a community of faith, quite frankly. I think there's seasons we have, seasons we haven't. But it requires clarity of leadership. And so in these next few moments, we have carved out the time to install Rob Sweet as our lead pastor. Again, you might say, well, I thought you did that a year and a half ago. Well, we did. It's one thing to in, install someone in a role in an office like, like put them, give them the helm of the ship, you know, as the ship's sliding off the dock into the water, into the waters, and let's go sail off. It's another thing to hand them the helm while the perfect storm is, is, is occurring. And quite frankly, Rob, we handed you that role in the midst of a perfect storm. And Rob has been serving in that role for uh, over, you know, like 14, 15 months quietly. Um, some of you, let me hit, hit some, some points here. Some of you may go, well, um, what do you mean lead pastor? I, I, I thought... Lloyd, I thought you were the lead pastor. Well, I'm not the lead pastor. And I've never been the lead pastor because it's not my gifting and wiring to lead in that way, okay? Well, then you might go, well, I thought we were a team. What's this lead pastor business? Well, you know, team ministry requires unbelievable leadership. Show me a team that doesn't have a leader, and I'll show you a losing team. I was in Knoxville yesterday, by the way, speaking of losing teams. <laughs> Where is that leadership, Hunter? You know, in the, in the locker room. Where's the leaders? Uh, but a team, team's not leaderless. A team, the best teams have the strongest leader. But the way the leader leads is that he leads the team and he, he puts the, 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 the success of the individuals on the team above his own success or above her own success so that the team succeeds. And I'm telling you, God has so orchestrated and ordered and gifted and wired Rob Sweet that he's a team leader. Ask anyone who has worked with him over these years. You know, Rob didn't come here, I wanna say this, to be the lead pastor of Fellowship Bible Church. He came to be the teaching pastor 
at Fellowship Franklin. And I got to tell you, Rob and Eric have been a dynamic duo. I'm telling you that our congregation here moved when Rob and Eric led, you know, as they came in and led this, and it was a reflection of their leadership together. And so, I'm, you know, I'm saying a few words about Rob because his dad's not here. Last week at Brentwood, his dad was there. We call him Rob Sweet the second because they look just alike. If you want to know what Rob Sweet's going to look like in 30 years, look at his dad. That's Rob. But uh, it was so sweet for, Rob, for uh, Mr. Sweet to say something to Rob and to just recognize his son and that his son didn't, is not perfect. But I'm telling you, Mr. Sweet's a godly man and he said words to his son that were so meaningful. You can watch that online. But I want to, as a as a co-laborer with Rob, Rob, I want to be able to say to you in front of this congregation that you have led for now almost five years plus, or around five years, um, I have seen Rob die to himself. It cost Rob Sweet to take this role as lead pastor. This is not like promotion. It costs Rob Sweet to step into this role, and it will cost him to continue in this role. Many of you are in the room that were, you know, <laughs> that were here from the beginning, uh, John and Jeannie and, and others in the room. And we dreamed of a church where we, you know, just a small group of us said, what about a church where we take church seriously? Where it's not just the Southern cultural habit. It actually is something that costs us everything and gives us more than we could ever dream. And I'm looking at you two who have raised your kids here, and now you're raising your grandkids. God is so good. And it's, you know, for me, having been here from the beginning, I don't take lightly to put hands on someone to say, you're now the lead pastor, and he takes a greater responsibility in that because we had a dream. But what I can say to anyone who's been at fellowship for any amount of time is, it's in good hands in Rob Sweet's heart. And his dreams for fellowship John and Jeannie, they exceed ours from 20 plus years ago. They do, because look what we've got, God has done. And now what can God do in the future? And I am thrilled personally to put myself and submit myself under Rob as my boss, as, as the lead pastor here. Uh, the elders have wisely installed him in that role. You might wonder, well, Lloyd, what are you, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna do what I've always done. I'm gonna come alongside a gifted called lead pastor and serve him to the best of my ability and serve this church and teach and do the things I've always done. Nothing changes for Lloyd. But I'll tell you, I personally, I really am. I'm excited about who God has brought to us in Rob. And we didn't, we're not even smart enough to go find him. You know what I'm saying? It's like God did this and put him here. So with that, Rob, I'm gonna ask you to come up here with your girls and let's welcome Rob up, thanking him for his role. Guys, come on up here. And, um, you know, I've said these words to Rob. Sharon, do you have that microphone? You got it with you? I don't know where that microphone. Oh, I got it over here. Sharon Rays. I've asked Sharon to come up because I'm, you know, this is installation of Rob, but I'm telling you, where Rob goes, so goes his family and his spouse. And so I've asked Sharon just to share, share a few words as someone who's walked so closely with Jody over the years. And Jody, I 
just like Lloyd said, that it cost Rob. It will cost you and your girls. Um, my dad has been a pastor for 50 years, so I've watched uh, my mom um, sacrifice things for the kingdom. And like I told the girls earlier, I ha we had to do that as a family as well. But there's no greater joy. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to speak words over you today because we see these qualities in you and in the witness of your church family. I want to share these words that I see in you and an image that I see in you when I pray for you. Mm -hmm. um, first, I hear the words from 1 Peter 3 that speak of the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Mm -hmm. And the Hebrew translations of these words indicate one who restrains their own strength because they know of God's strength. And your gentleness and your quietness spring from your calm assurance and your confidence in your God and in his love and grace for you. And because you're sure of him, you're, you just walk humbly and you bring peace to your family and to our church community. And when I think of you, I see an image of this growing and flourishing tree. And Psalm 1 says that when you delight and find joy in the word of God and you meditate on his law, you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water yielding fruit in every season and prospering, thriving, and flourishing. Jody, we've seen your heart for God's word. You center your life on God's word and you love to study it and to teach it and to disciple children and women. And we have all been touched by your gifts and your callings. Mm -hmm. The tree, the tree also roots deeply and draws its life from its water source. And you know that your life source is Jesus, the living water. So as you submit to the Spirit's leading in your life, we pray that he will produce more spiritual fruit in you and through you than you can even ask for or imagine. Mm -hmm. So our prayer for you today as our pastor's wife is to flourish in your personal walk with the Lord, in your marriage and ministry partnership with Rob, and in your own unique giftings and callings. We look forward to all the ways that God is going to continue to develop your deepest desires and use your gifts to minister to us, your community, and the world. Mm -hmm. We love you. Amen. And um, Rob, I'd love for you to, uh, to say a word about, yeah. um, let you respond to some of these words. Well, first of all, Sharon, thank you. That was so meaningful to all of us, and Jody in particular. Uh, I just want to say, I think Lloyd said a word. I want to say a few words, if I could. And I just want to express my heart. And I thought about what, what to say on this occasion. I thought a lot about that. And I thought, I think I just want to share my thoughts, my emotions, my desires, and my choices, just very briefly. My thoughts are on the goodness of God. We sang about it earlier. And I'm thinking about Fellowship's 20-year story and what Lloyd was sharing right there at the end. 
I had a conversation with you all about that in our, our all-night prayer. Think about what God has done in 20 years. Think about what God has done in this place at Fellowship Franklin in six or seven years. And uh, my thoughts are on the goodness of God and where we are in, in, in this story and my story. My thoughts are also on you this morning, this congregation. I, I take seriously the role of a pastor as the role of a shepherd. And so my role has changed somewhat since I've been here, as Lloyd alluded to, but fundamentally, I see it as a shepherd's role to, to, to guide a people, an organization, humbly, led by Jesus as our chief leader. And I've been thinking about you and your stories and where you are on your journey. And I want you to know my thoughts are of you this morning, this congregation. Um, my emotions, a lot of gratitude um, gr- grateful for the words that Lloyd just shared. Grateful for the word, for my family being up here with me, for my wife. Grateful for you all as a congregation. You know, you, you all are still our home congregation. And part of, you know, Lloyd was alluding to, some of the sacrifice involved of a new role for me, honestly, is leaving here every week. You know, le- leaving uh, the relationships that I know best and, and spreading out a little bit now to be a part of two congregations, which there's joy there, but I want you all to know uh, we love you here. We, we, I, I miss you personally being here every week. Uh, and so I have gratitude for you. I also have gratitude to our elder team. These are good men. They love you. They serve you so well. And I'm grateful uh, that they have chosen to say, we're asking you to lead alongside this team, this elder team. And finally, I'm grateful to Lloyd um, because he is a joy to co-labor with his open-handedness. You think about a founding pastor, and Lloyd's not going anywhere, praise God, but a founding pastor being willing to say, come and lead, that's pretty significant. And it's a testimony to the spirit that God's given Lloyd, so I'm grateful for that. My desire, I wanna read to you from Colossians chapter three. This is a text that I've been thinking about in my desire for us, for you, for Fellowship Bible Church. May the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's a significant phrase. We're a Bible church. It's the word of Jesus. It's the word of Jesus. And it's gonna dwell in us. That's God's desire for us. With all teaching and admonishing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The only way you can sing with thankfulness in your heart with God is if there's been a transformation deep inside your heart. And that's what Lloyd's just talking about. He did such a great job kind of explaining this whole series in, in 30 minutes. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I desire to help lead a church where men and women all over here are doing everything they do to the glory of God. Your parenting and your workplaces and your comings and your goings and your longings and your hearts. And as that happens, this community is gonna be transformed. I'm telling you all, it will, because God's gonna be getting all the glory through all this. So this is some of the desires of my heart this morning. And then just real, real quickly, what do I choose? I choose to love and serve you, this church. And I want you to know, Jody and I, have made a few different transitions in our life in, in ministry. I've served at three churches now, and we hope this is our last and each time we, we've felt stirred for a change, we've prayed, God, will you lead us to a people? We haven't prayed, lead us to a job or a promotion. Is would you lead us to a people that you would call us to love and serve? And by his sovereignty, he has led us to you. So thank you for having us. <laughs> and my choice, our choice, is to love you and serve you as long as God will allow. 
Rob, I want you to stay, stay there, and um, let's gather around behind him. Jody, you and the girls get over here, and then I'm going to ask the elders in the room, those who are in the room, to come up. I know some of you are still here. We had several last service. Yes, go ahead. Can I also ask if there's anybody here um, that was in Jody's discipleship group in the years be that she's been? I'd love for them to come up. Anybody here in our fellowship group? I don't know if there is here today. I'd love for you all to come up. And then Eric, I'd love for you to come up. Do you want me to just ask everyone? Rob, yeah. Wanna, <laughs> are we gonna, where, where is it going to end, Rob? Where is it going to end? You guys come up here and get around them. Just circle on around, get around their back around there, stick an arm on each other. I'm going to ask everyone else to stand. If you, if you would like to, uh, you know, we have an arm extended on Rob. This is quite significant to put hands on someone. Everybody keep coming up. We don't want any injuries falling off the stage, so go around behind. And if you would, the congregation, I'll ask you, if you would extend a hand out to Rob as we pray over him. Rob, may you have the grace and wisdom to act kindly learning to distinguish between what is personal and what is not. May you be hospitable to criticism. May you never put yourself at the center of things. May you act not from arrogance, but out of service. May you work on yourself, building up and refining the ways of your mind. May those who work for you know you, see, and respect them. May you learn to cultivate the art of presence in order to engage with those who meet you. When someone fails or disappoints you, may the graciousness with which you engage be their stairway to renewal and refinement. May you treasure the gifts of the mind through reading and creative thinking so that you continue as a servant of the frontier, where the new will draw its enrichment from the old and you never become functionary. May you know the wisdom of deep listening the healing of wholesome words, the encouragement of the appreciative gaze, the decorum of held dignity, the springtime edge of the bleak question. May you have a mind that loves frontiers so that you can evoke the bright fields that lie beyond the view of the regular eye. May you have good friends to mirror your blind spots. May leadership be for you a true adventure of growth. And we join with Paul. Rob, we solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
But we have a gift for Rob. This prayer that I prayed over him is a prayer by a gentleman named John O'Donohue, Anglican cleric. Uh, he's passed away, but a, a beautiful prayer. And uh, so Jody had the girls write the prayer in their own handwriting. So he's got in his own, their own handwriting, it's Dear Daddy, and then it's the prayer. Um, and love, uh, Ansley, Alyssa, and Karis. And there's pictures, by the way, of uh, the, the installation at Brentwood last week. So you may want to take a look at that so we can see what Rob looks like in 30 years when you look at his dad <laughs> on the back. If you would like someone to pray with you, you always have someone here so that uh, you can be prayed with. So come up here to pray. We need you. I don't know what's going on with that, but um, we need to stack the chairs. Eight high, okay? So stack the chairs eight high as you leave. If you want to be prayed for, come up here. Come up and give Rob and family a hug. God bless. You're dismissed.